This is the Improve Photography Podcast, episode number 217. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a portfolio to showcase your photography work, a store to sell your products, or a blog to share your ideas, Squarespace gives you everything you need to make your next move a reality. Not to mention, with Squarespace's beautifully designed templates and customizable features, creating a beautiful website is a simple and intuitive process. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your first purchase, plus a free domain name with the purchase of an annual plan. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Improved Photography Podcast. I am your absent host, Jim Harmer. As you listen to this, I am in Cancun with my wife after looking forward to a long-awaited vacation after a brutal couple of months preparing for the for the app that's coming out soon and the conference and everything. I'm so excited with all we have going on in Proof Photography, but I am looking forward to to a week away. And I am joined today by Larissa Gobetz, who you've heard from hey. many times, and also Aaron Taylor, who's has been a writer on ImprovedPhotography.com, but now is moving on uh, to teaching local photography classes around Columbus, Ohio. How's it going, Jim? Thanks. I'm glad to have you on the show. Well, I'm still, all I can still think about is is the retreat. It was so much fun. Our first Improved Photography Conference, what, three weeks ago. And I, I just had such a good time. Everybody was incredibly positive, weren't they, Larissa? Yes, they were. It was, it was so much fun to just, everybody was there just to have fun and helping each other and supportive. And there just wasn't a single negative vibe all week. And I just don't know if I've ever been in an, an environment like that. Everybody just, I think everybody left uplifted and on fire and excited. Uh, so it was, it was super cool. But there were a few things during the retreat that I found myself Talk, saying over and over and over again as I was looking through portfolios and working with photographers in the studio and on location and just kind of the things that I was noticing that a lot of people were struggling with. The first one uh, kind of ties into the second, and that is recognize what your viewfinder coverage is. Uh, do uh, do you guys both have 100% viewfinder coverage on your cameras? Yes. No, I don't have mine. The 6D, I think, is like 97. Okay, that's... that's. I haven't shot with a camera that doesn't have 100% viewfinder coverage in many years. I mean, not as my daily driver. I mean, I, I use a different camera all the time, right? I'm always switching between different cameras. But, but it's been several years that I've shot with one that doesn't have 100% viewfinder coverage. So what you see in the viewfinder, you actually get a little bit more on the sensor. And so the problem is when you're trying to get your composition just right, you get it just right in the camera, and then you look at the actual image on the LCD screen, and it's different. It's wider than what you had actually seen. And so I was working with one person. I can't remember who it was to give you a shout out. Sorry. Uh, but I, I, we, she'd take a picture. We'd look at the LCD screen, and I'd say, mm, you have too much head space, which is the next thing I want to talk about. Too much space between the top of the head and the top of the frame. And so she'd say, okay, I'm going to cut, I'm going to cut in more. And she'd shoot, same thing. And we'd say, no, no, crop in more, get tighter. Same thing, same thing. This happens like four times. And I thought, what is happening? And then we realized it's the viewfinder coverage because when she shot in live view mode on the LCD screen on the back, the problem was gone. And so if you don't have a hundred percent viewfinder coverage, 
you just always have to have that in the back of your head that it's just slightly not a less zoomed in than it looks and so you you want to make sure you're you're adjusting for that in your compositions because small little changes in a composition only a few percent it does make a difference with something like that is that something that that bugs you shooting with a with a non 100% viewfinder cover uh, coverage camera Aaron or do you not really even notice it I'd say nine times out of ten not a big deal but uh, I do a lot of family shoots and I I practice for those in my kitchen <laughs> with my kids <laughs> And uh, I actually had this come up just yesterday where I had a seamless roll taped to the floor because my kids are kind of scooting around a little bit. They're really creeping to the edge of that paper. I hadn't put enough out. And so what I saw in viewfinder was them perfectly placed on a gray backdrop. And then I go to look at the file and I've got little gaffer tape marks and the edge of the paper right at the bottom of the image. I mean, not a huge deal, but I'm going to lose a little bit of that resolution if I have to crop that out. So it's, I mean, not a deal breaker by any means, but it's definitely something I notice every now and then. Yeah, it's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, it's a tiny, tiny crop, no big deal. But when you're trying to get everything right, you know, when you're trying to nail that composition, you don't want it changing from what you see to what you actually get. You want that to be as, as, wissy wig as possible and so it, it's just i i think that's that's an important consideration and, and while we're talking about that headspace was something that i was talking about all the time it's tough for photographers to get used to cropping off the top of the head but look at magazines for the next month when you're in the grocery store look at those magazines most of them have cropped heads. It, most professional, nice portraits are, are going to crop in a little bit on that head because it gives you the face even larger. So be very careful to, uh, it's okay to crop in on the head, but even if you're not cropping in, you know, chopping off part of the head, don't leave as much space between the top of the head and the top of the frame as you probably feel like you need because that's usually boring space. There's usually nothing happening up there. So just leave a little bit. And, and I find that that's a little bit of a nicer crop. What do you guys think? I think it also goes for um, landscapes too, not just people's heads, but you tend to see a lot of spacing when it comes to landscapes. I know when I was doing the critiques at the um, retreat, a lot of people just had way too much room on top. Yeah. Above a mountain or something like mm -hmm. that. Oh, good point. For the, uh, for the, every portfolio review I've done for you, Jim, I think I always make a comment about headspace. Uh, it would probably be a top three comment I make for, you know, a beginner to, you know, semi amateur photographer is, is come in closer on that head. Um, Something that I read uh, from a well-known portrait photographer is you have to give enough, you know, of the top of the head or the hair so that we know kind of the shape and dimension that it has, and then you can cut it off. Yeah, good you point. Know, you don't have to give too much, uh, but if you cut, you know, you know, if you only give us like the hairline and that's it, we don't really get a sense for what that hair does. But if you give just enough that we get the shape, the color, you know, the dimension, the texture then you're pretty safe. I think part of the problem is that people are so concerned about cutting pieces off that, you know, like arms on the side, that they want to have all that room so that they can later crop it um, in post. And, you know, I know I tend to do that because when I first started shooting, I was cutting off all kinds of parts. 
So I would always make sure that I had extra room on the sides and on the top just so that I could go in and crop it later because I hated going to pictures and going, oh, what a great oh, man. There's part of something missing on the side. So very good point. The yeah, next you know, thing that I wanted to mention was the YN560 TX, which is, I, I know something you've written about on the website. You have a great tutorial, Aaron. Uh, Aaron, you have a great article on improvephotography.com about the YN560 TX. So this is a, it's a transmitter. It's a controller. It's what attaches to the hot shoe, the top of your camera, and it sends the signal to your off-camera, unconnected wireless flashes, uh, your, usually your YN560 flashes, and it tells them when to fire, when to when to pop the flash. So uh, every time we go out and do flash photography, uh, as I'm traveling around with, with listeners, readers of improved photography, I'm always seeing that a lot of people, you know, they hear us talk about YN560 constantly on the show, and then you go to Amazon and you say, okay, I'm going to go buy a YN560, one of these young Nuo flashes that I always hear these guys talking about, because they're inexpensive, they're 70 bucks, and they sound like they're good, because all of us use them, um, <laughs> except for Connor. Connor's the holdout. He's using he's using Studio Flash most of the time, but hey, these, Erica doesn't use them. No, oh, she yeah. doesn't use them at all. Oh yeah, that's oh. We have a couple holdouts. We'll convert them by next year. <laughs> anyway, people go to to Amazon, and then you see, oh wait a minute. There's this YN600EXRT, and it has high speed sync and and. Um, ETTL, all these cool features, and it only costs a couple bucks. I'm going to get it. Um, so there's nothing wrong with it. The YN600EXRT, those more advanced flashes from Yongnuo, they're really powerful flashes. And for some people, it's just the right thing. But for 95, 99% of people, I think you're going to wish that you got the, just the simple YN560TX and the YN560 version 4. Those are exactly what we have linked to. If you just go to improvephotography.com, click on recommended gear and flash, that's what you're going to see. Uh, that's that's what we recommend. And the reason is, all, this has happened dozens, hundreds of times over the last couple of years. We'll start shooting as a group, and somebody that has one of these more advanced one, uh, advanced ones with the, all the features says, "Ah, but but how do I do this and that?" And and you know, we can help you if you have the same one as everybody else. But if you have a different one, it's it's harder. We don't always know how to do the controls, and it's just there are a lot more steps and a lot more things that can get messed up. And so, unless you're really advanced with Flash, I just really recommend everybody to just get a simple YN560TX controller and the YN. 564 flash and everybody that had that was having a lot more fun because uh, it was it's so easy to set up and they're incredibly powerful now i have a funny story at the retreat when we were at the mon orchid nick was in one room shooting and connor and erica were in another room and since everybody was using the same controller one person in one room would shoot off the flash and then everybody else's flash would go off in the next room so uh -huh. we had to make sure we were set on different channels yes yeah we had the same problem at night it, the flashes were just pop 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 pop, pop. <laughs> they were just going crazy and then we finally got you know each set up with different model we would say hey what channel are we on over here and everybody'd switch to seven or whatever and so yeah that is nice you know i think if there's uh someone 
who's just starting to get into flash and is just buying their first piece of gear. And if they only buy the YN564, they're gonna be a little disappointed. It should almost come as a bundle. They should get that 564 and that TX and just call it a day because there's only so much you can do with that flash in your hot shoe. You need that controller to start playing right away. So that would be my suggestion is get both pieces right away. I totally agree. If you just get the YN560 TX and the YN560 version 4 flash, you're so set up. You can do so much with just one flash and a nice, easy-to-use controller. Ah, It's just so powerful just having one flash. Eventually, you'll add more, whatever. You'll get more into more complicated setups, but just a nice flash and and a trigger and you are set. And the great thing with the young new flashes is that they work on all the cameras. Like mine will work on my Sony. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, it works Canon, Nikon, Sony, mm-hmm. Fuji, you name it. It's going to just go really nice. So here's the, the only thing. I don't think the YN564s can do the rear curtain sync. So if you're wanting to play with motion in your flash photos... Uh, you're, I think you're limited by that. That, that would be the one downside I see because I can't, I can't play with it yet. So I don't know if I like it. Yeah. I, I, and it's, that's, that's a setting that I've used before, but hardly regularly, you know, but I did hear somebody talking about that at the retreat. I don't know much about it. I'd like to experiment more with that because isn't that just a function of the camera, the rear curtain sync? But somebody told me that on Canon's, when you go on the camera to rear curtain sync, it's grayed out if you're using a TX. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically what the look you're looking for, right, is that you want to freeze that person at the end of their motion rather than at the beginning of their motion. So right. So if of, we have a half second shutter speed and somebody's dancing, right, or, or right. they're running, we want to see the little trail, the little ghost trail behind them and not in front of them. So we want the flash to pop at the end. Yeah. So it's just something I haven't been able to experiment with yet because uh, I can't do it with the, with the 560TX. But I mean, that's something I want to play with, not that I'm going to run my business off of. Right. So. And are you Canon? Yeah. Okay, we, we should do some experimentation. Somebody, I'd love to have somebody check this on, on Nikon and Sony and see if that's the case. Because I, I can't see a technical reason why it wouldn't work. I, I, my, my suspicion is that this is something that Canon is, is graying out because they want you to use the Canon flash. But I don't, I, I mean, all that it's doing is it's telling the flash when to send that signal to the hot shoe. So I, I can't see a reason why this wouldn't work. Maybe there's a piece that I don't understand, but my suspicion is that that's a Canon thing. Yeah, I'm with you on the Canon overlords. I'm yeah. with you. <laughs> well, let's see if, if anybody notices that or wants to test that on the camera. I'd be very curious to see about that. Well, from excitement and the retreat to Larissa <laughs> bringing us down in the dumps talking about tax time. Uh, but this is an important topic for photographers and it's almost April. And so it's it's a timely topic. What have you what have you learned, Larissa? Well, um organization is key when it comes to taxes. You need to um, organize your shoots. And also whenever you're going out on shoots, make sure you track those miles you go. Because I was just looking through my Pixify account and I've got a lot of shoots that have the miles on there, but a lot of them do not. I mean, thankfully I can Google Maps as to where, you know, I know where I shot so I can Google Maps and add the mileage. But that's something that's really important to keep track of. 
keep track of all the deposits that you make into your account. You should be getting, what is it, a W-9 or whatever that is from whomever it is that you shot for. Like I shoot for a magazine, so they send me one. So I match that up with um, how much I show that I've deposited from them in, um, in the year. Also on my hard drive, I will um, take pictures of my receipts and separate them. You know, every year I've got a new batch of receipts and then by month I'll drop them in there. Uh, I don't give them to my accountant unless she actually needs them. Yeah, and, most accountants won't actually want that, but right. you certainly need it because if you get well, audited, you're going right. to need that back up. Right. I, so I want to mention something about the miles as well. The nice thing about about being a photographer is almost every time we drive for work, there's a photo evidence of it, right? And so it's nice that you can kind of, if you haven't been good about tracking your miles during the year, which you should, but if you're not, then just look through your Lightroom for 2016 and just sit down with a pen and paper and your Lightroom and look and say, oh, I drove to the lake and I can write that off. And I drove to the train depot when I did this shoot. And and you kind of have a record there. You're going to miss some things, you know, if you went to a coffee shop to meet a client and you didn't take a picture, but you kind of have a record there. What I do, because I'm not real great, like a lot of people use like mileage IQ, the iPhone app or something. Mm-hmm. I used to try that, but oh, it was too much to try to remember every single time. So now my process is I have a reminder. It's Siri just reminds me on the first of every month. Uh, it'll just pop up quickly, do your mileage. And I just sit down real quick and I write an email to my wife because she does the billing. Emily does the billing and, and the finances for the company. And I'd say, you know, I drove to salt lake to for a landscape shoot i drove to this place and and i'll just write down how many miles each one was and then you have to reimburse yourself for those things you can't just put on your taxes i drove 700 miles yay take it off my taxes no you need to do a reimbursement uh from from your business whatever you have your llc uh to yourself and so that you can mark that expense and so um so anyway, that's the process that I've evolved to. It's been a little bit less stressful for me. One of the things I do uh, is just once a week, I'll go through my calendar backwards and just make sure I didn't miss an appointment or miss a job or something like that. So even if you don't, you're don't, you not looking through your Lightroom catalog, you can also double check on your calendar. Good idea. And don't forget meal receipts and stuff like that, especially like at Improved Photography, the retreat when we went there, whatever things you have since you were working include those receipts and stuff like that too. Yeah, that's right. And I do the same thing with receipts as you, Larissa. I just, well, I have a literal box next to my desk that I just kind of stuff them in for a while. And then every few months, once my box starts filling up, I will just sit down with my cell phone and I'll just take a picture of each one. And then I take those pictures and I just put it into a drive on my, or to a folder on my Drobo that's just receipts. And I'll just name it by that folder by the date. And so I, I always have a backup of my receipts. I don't keep the paper receipts because paper receipts, the ink is going to be gone from them even they a year fade. from now. They fade uh-huh. very quickly. So you can't just stuff them in boxes and expect 10 years from now to give it to, uh, <laughs> to an auditor. It's not going to work. Yeah, I was photographing my receipts when we were at the retreat. I'd come back from, you know, going out to dinner and just photograph them so that I make sure I didn't lose them on the trek home. To me, the biggest thing, number one, very first thing you should do if you want to do photography as a business, which honestly, all of you should do photography as a business. If you earn even a little bit of money through photography, 
make it a business because then instead of that income being taxable, you're going to have so many expenses that you can write it off. You know, going to the improved photography retreat, kaboom, that's a tax deduction. You know, you buy a new camera, a new lens, whatever, all those things you can write off. But you have to keep good good records and that's tough to do. You know, you don't want to become an accountant. You want to be a photographer and have this not get in your way. The number one thing you can do is just go to a bank and open a business bank account. You don't have to start an LLC to do this. You just need a separate bank account from your other stuff so that so that it's really doing the accounting for you for most things. You know, you'll see all of your expenses right in there. And then, you know, at the end of the year, you may want to put it in as something as simple as Excel or QuickBooks if you want to get fancy. Yeah, that's what I do. I use QuickBooks. Actually, I just started using QuickBooks, so I haven't quite figured it out yet. Oh, it's a pain. But yeah, I put all the receipts. It, I've looked at it, I'm like, oh my God, I'll, I'll do that for 2017 stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> I've got something else I've used for 2016 stuff. So Have like, you considered oh, FreshBooks? Um, I kind of did a quick trial on it. There was something about it I just didn't like. Yeah. Um, so I'm real picky about stuff like that. Like, I don't know, 17 hats doesn't work well for me, but Pixify does. And the QuickBooks freelancer doesn't work well for me. It just. Sure. You got to have your preference. Yeah. Yeah, We we use QuickBooks as well for our business. Uh, You know, our our accountant, your accountant's going to prefer QuickBooks most of the time. If you're, if you're a bigger business and there's a lot they're going to need to do in books. But if you're, you know, a photographer earning a few thousand dollars a year, something as simple as, as FreshBooks is going to work just great. So I actually just. I just use a. Uh, Sorry, a no, I was I was just getting a call. If you just, if you just heard my if you just heard my ringtone, that was a call from the developer working on the really good photo spots app. I was gonna say we should have just uh, picked up and put on whoever it was and say like, hey, guys. how are you, Corey? All right, um, he's working hard for you. We'll give him a break. I use a, I just use a Google spreadsheet because it's just me. My business is pretty small scale. Um, sure. you know, it's several pages tracking a few things. Um, the accountant that I use, um, he's just a family friend, but I asked him if I should be doing anything more. And he said for a business like mine, one person, pretty small, it would be like killing a fly with a sledgehammer to yep. use QuickBooks. Or <laughs> I agree. Uh, you just, you just need to be organized and track things. You don't really need a, a special program if you're just kind of getting started. But it's I like to totally, torture myself. Yeah, it's totally <laughs> worth three or four hours of your time. Again, if you're earning any money with your photography, you, you're. It's just really wasteful to not spend three or four hours. Just run to the bank and start an account. Uh, it can just be in your name. That's totally fine. But just make a separate bank account. You don't have to make an LLC first, anything like that. You may want to do a DBA if you want to get fancy, but really just any kind of separate bank account is going to make a huge difference uh, for being able to write things off and and running as a legitimate business. It's what your accountant will tell you the very first thing to do is just to open a separate bank account. And then it's going to be easy and you're not going to miss out. You're going to be on, on great deductions all kinds of things. You can start writing off your internet connection if that's essential to running your your business. You could write off a certain percentage of your home if you have a an official office. You can't use it for, you know, dual purpose. You could write off miles driving to the improved photography retreat or to one of our meetups. I mean, they're just endless expenses you can write off. 
but it's totally worth three or four hours to get started. Yeah, my husband built my office just because of that. Very nice, yeah. And if you're interested in getting started with this, you want to kind of get the legal stuff done, just search photography business legal guide on on uh, Google and the improved photography article will pop up probably at the top. Uh, it's called Simple Guide to Setting Up a Photography Business Legally. Um, and that I've got really good feedback on that. It's like 5,000 words. It's a huge post, uh, but it really will walk you through everything you need to know uh, to get your business started. So check that out. Well, we want to talk a little bit more about networking for the photographer, but before we do that, we want to take a second and thank Squarespace for supporting this episode of the podcast. Squarespace has been a great supporter of the podcast for a long time. They're our longest running supporter, uh, and they really provide a very nice service for photographers. Whatever your next big idea is, you can count on Squarespace to help you with an eye-catching online platform that brings it to life. Whether you need a portfolio to showcase your photography work, a store to sell your products or services, or a blog to share your ideas, Squarespace gives you everything you need from an expert right from the start. You can even get a unique domain name that's, you know, your whatever bobjones.com or whatever it is, you get your domain name, which strengthens your brand and makes it easier for visitors to find you. Plus, Squarespace's award-winning templates create a beautiful website, which is simple and intuitive. So make your next move and start a free trial at squarespace.com today. Enter code IMPROVE to get 10% off your purchase. And if you purchase an annual plan, that means you'll also get a domain name for free. Again, that's offer code IMPROVE, I-M-P-R-O-V-E. And we thank them for their support. Well, Aaron, you have a great story to share with us about networking. (laughs) Yeah, um, this has been uh, on my mind a lot lately, especially as I try to expand the reach of my business. Um, I guess I'll start with the story. So when I moved to Columbus uh, this past summer, I had to go to the eye doctor because I needed a new contact lens subscription. I also was thinking about the photos I needed to take for one of the flash articles I wrote for you. And uh, I was looking you know, for a model to, to test out the, the multi uh, setting. And so I just started chatting with the technician at the eye doctors and she was like, well, I have a daughter who does dance. I'm like, would you be interested in a stranger coming to your house and taking photos (laughs) of your daughter? (laughs) Uh, And she said, yeah, why not? Um, And uh, it ended up being a whole family affair. Like her husband was there uh, and I did pictures of one of her sons. Um, And, you know, we spent an hour, hour and a half kind of, you know, talking to each other and I got to introduce who I was and tell them, you know, why we had moved and what I'm trying to establish in Columbus. So uh, from that, you know, and I I actually uh, sent them the photos, of course, and uh, even sent them a couple prints because I did a a traditional headshot of their daughter too. uh, That was pretty amazing. Um, And uh, so anyways, I ended up being, they ended up getting back in touch with me and hiring me for another daughter's uh, senior photos two months later, um, they were celebrating, uh, the husband and wife were celebrating an an anniversary. They called me up uh, and said, we want to do some photos for anniversary. Um, I made sure to kind of keep in touch with them and their social media feeds, you know, over the, the, the next few months, you know, I would, one of the things I always do is use photos from shoots from months ago, just to, because I can't post 40 pictures all at once on Instagram. So I'll go back to it. 
And so I said, Oh, I love the shoot in September. You guys look so great. And that would kind of keep me on their mind. That's a good uh, idea. At, uh, at new year's, I sent uh, the wife an email just to say, thank you for kind of being one of my first supporters as I moved to Columbus. Uh, sure enough, a couple of weeks later, they need some photography for a, a benefit concert that was going awesome. on. Um, I did that uh, for free because it was kind of a family thing and they had been so helpful to me. But the next day she called me and said, I have another project for you. Uh, lo and behold, I'm doing all of the new photos for the eye doctor's office website. So headshots, interior photos. Cool. So it might've been, uh, you know, seven months in the making, but you know, little tiny pieces of, of contact and just being open and being nice and, and putting myself out there, uh, got me this big job. You know, it's, it's the, the biggest, you know, I guess corporate job that I've had cause I've mostly been focused on families. Um, so, you know, that I think is networking in a nutshell. It's not like this overnight thing where you're going to meet this person and all of a sudden you're going to have 20 weddings and you're going to be doing photos for an international business. You know, it's little tiny baby steps day in and day out, just making those contacts and, uh, and being a nice person. Um, people start to kind of think of you as that guy or that girl to go to for photography. Wow, that's really cool. I I, lo- I love that. I love stories like that. People that are, you know, not saying, "Oh, what was me? The the photography market's <laughs> too crowded." But you're just going out and making things happen. That's totally cool. Yeah, you know, one of the things we I was chatting with uh, with Sandy Darrow, um earlier today about this topic, and she brought up the point uh, about social media and how social media isn't really networking. Now, I know I mentioned it in my story, but it, it was a small part of my story. Um, only social media, you know, only Facebook groups or only using Instagram, that's just not going to cut it compared to those face-to-face meetings, I think. You know, you have to have those people skills, being able to, to look someone in the eye, to start a conversation, to be relatable, and also to talk about your photography in a way that's you know, confident, but not pushy. There's a weird balance. You know, we've all met that person that's like, oh, you need pictures? I'm a photographer. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, <laughs> you're getting married? Do you have pictures yet? Uh, do you have a photographer yet? Like, I can do it. I can do it. You know, that's a huge turnoff, I would imagine, except for maybe another person exactly like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's that balance you have to strike. Yeah, totally. That's that, that's great. And I, that, I've heard so many stories recently of people that got started doing things for free. And I know, I I mean, you don't want to undersell yourself and you should get paid for what you're worth. But honestly, it's tough to get started with a paid gig. And so, you know, you you started out uh, doing doing free things and, and just trying to make something happen. And look how quickly you can turn it into paid work. Now, you have to be careful and, and you know, you don't want to just always be the free photographer or the cheap photographer. You got to, you know, may take a step each time. You got to take a step forward with each job. Certainly, you know, an established photographer is not going to step back and say, oh, yay, free. It's exposure. No, because they're, they're established. You know, they're several steps down the line now. But when you're just starting, man, do whatever you can. Just build that portfolio and, and eventually you're gonna be able to take the next step just keep pushing forward that's totally cool yeah you know one of the things i'll say too about free work is um you really have to make sure you're thinking about what's in it for the other person and what are they going to do for you in exchange 
you know um if the transaction is all one-sided and the person that's getting your photos isn't really going to be able to do much for you in return you know maybe that's one where you say hey i know i'm getting started i'll give you 25 percent off you know you're a small business uh, mm -hmm. versus doing it for free um but if you know you know they have a maybe you've checked out their website or you've heard of them from someone else and you know that there's a possibility, you know, a reasonable chance that you're going to get something good in return, whether it's website exposure or a job down the line, you know, then that one might be worth doing for free. You kind of have to be savvy, uh, you know, people savvy to know, you know, what's in it for the other person versus what's in it for you. Right. And the other thing, I mean, you have to think about not necessarily the pictures, but the people, because I know where I live, it's a small town. And the first time I went and I photographed at one of the, um, the local community theaters, that was just a stepping stone. I mean, I did it for free. I did it because I wanted to, but it got me with so many different people in this town that, you know, from the mayor going there and, you know, to magazine owners and stuff like that, it's with the networking within meeting new people too breaking out from the one person or one place where you start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would also say reach out to other artists doing different genres, you know, painters need photos of their work. Uh, jewelry designers need photos of their work. If it's something that you like and that you're interested in, it could just be good practice. You know, if you're just starting with off camera flash, doing some product photography, uh, with your off camera flash might be a great practice for free. Um, I've been doing some, some photography for a body painter here in Columbus. And that's allowed me to expand my studio style lighting uh, more than I ever could with my kids at home or, uh, you know, with someone random, uh, you know, that I just meet and say, can I photograph your kids in the garage? <laughs> um, so, you know, it's another way, depending on the job, you could really uh, push yourself with, with the skills you're trying to practice too. Very cool. Well, we want to end this episode with the doodads of the week. Larissa, what do you have for us? I have, when we went to Santorini, I had an external hard drive that was not an SSD drive and it died on me when I was out there. Ah. And when I got back from the retreat, I did not bring any drives with me. I just had my computer, but I purchased a 250 gigabyte Samsung SSD hard drive. And that thing is so small. I'm like, oh my gosh, I could not believe how small it was. And it's not as big as I would like to like for it to have been because my other drive was a one terabyte, but it's enough to fit at least two of my 128 gig memory cards on there if I need to while I'm traveling. And that's what's most important. Awesome. Aaron, what do you have? All right. My doodad is pretty simple. It's nothing technical or electronic. It's a roll of 53 inch wide seamless thunder gray backdrop paper and a one inch gaffers tape. And I actually kind of mentioned it uh, when I, earlier talking about off camera flash, I think talking about my kids. Oh no, it was with the viewfinder. Anyways, um, I think that these two things should come coupled with your YN564 and your TX transmitter because this stuff is so versatile. You can use it for product photography. You can tape it to the wall uh, to do headshots. Um, the great thing about it is you don't have to do any crazy editing with your backdrop if you tried to fake seamless another way. I've used like four pieces of drawing paper taped together and it's just awful. Um, this, the seamless roll here that I found on Amazon is 33 bucks and the gaffer's tape I think is 11. 
So um, it's 53 found- inches by 12 yards. So right. that's yeah. a good, you know, it's plenty wide enough to do a, a full body shot. Um, you may get a little bit of background on the sides that you have to clone out if you're shooting full body, but certainly for headshots and stuff, it's plenty wide and that's cheap, you know, $33 and that'll last you a while, 12 yards. That's a really good deal. Yeah. I actually found it at my local photo store for 25 bucks. Ooh, so how about that? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, but yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, you can turn it to black really easily if you want a black background, uh, either with distance or in post. Um, I originally started with a white seamless roll, and it was just a little bit much for what I was trying to practice. The gray kind of toned things down. So I would I would go with this if you're trying to practice your tabletop photography or headshot photography. It's cheap and it's great. Very cool. Well. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Improved Photography Podcast. Uh, Larissa and Aaron, where can people catch up with you if they're looking for you? Um, my Instagram is Flight Attendant's Wife. So you can follow me there. And my blog is Flight Attendant's Wife. And my Facebook is Flight Attendant's Wife. Ooh, very so. clever. <laughs> uh, my website is just AaronTaylorPhoto.com. Got a whole lot of stuff on there. Awesome. Uh, and I and I regularly update my Instagram. That probably is more representative of my portfolio. My Instagram is just Aaron F. Taylor, F as in Frank, so Aaron F. Taylor on Instagram. Well, thank you guys for being on the show. Everybody have an awesome week, and we will see you in another seven days.